Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I am with you always. As you breathe in, my presence surrounds you. I am here the creator of humanity. Are you listening for me? I know that you long for my presence, for my heart is to be present with you. I watch as the morning light announces a new day. In the breeze brushing past your face, I am with you every step of the way. In the struggle and the challenge, I am with you. I will walk with you through fire. I calm the raging seas. My spirit will never leave you. Come find me. Search me out. Sit in my word and soak in my presence. Practice walking in my footprints. Dance in my court. Bring shouts of thanksgiving. See creation in vivid color as you discover me, the creator. My voice is speaking. My presence is here. No matter your circumstances, I am with you always. As a few of you are aware, for the last 21 days, there's been a fast happening around a campus and I've not been drinking coffee. And so if I'm a little bit buzzing and a little bit, uh, a little bit on edge this morning, uh, I've had my first coffee uh, and God is good. On that note, let me pray. Dearly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for what you've done around a campus. Lord, thank you for lives that are being changed. Lord, thank you that people are walking in this place. And Lord, that they know because they're experiencing that every single person who comes through those doors is welcome. Because you love us. So Lord, I just pray this morning that we will, we will now position ourselves to hear from you. God, that we will be, we'll have our, our ears and our hearts attentive to what your Spirit wants to say to us in these moments. So Lord, we thank you that this is your words, not my words. And so Lord, I pray that you'll speak powerfully through your Spirit into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 21 days ago, I stood in this exact spot and I stirred our, our, I stirred our campus with a challenge. I stirred our campus with a heart's cry that I want to be more hungry for the presence of God than for food. And we talked about it across all campuses. We were walking into a 21-day fast season. Today is 21 days. And over the past 21 days, as I've I've heard story after story about what God's been doing in people's lives, as I've heard of the variety of different things that that God's asked us to kind of abstain from and stop in this 21-day season, whether it's short or long, I've heard so many stories about how significant this has been and what God has done. You see, there's something powerful about as we sacrifice together simply to hear from God and to get closer into His presence. It's amazing to see what God has done. 
As I said, I've heard so many stories about answers to prayer and different things. I've heard so many stories about how God has used this fasting season to ignite people's walks with God, ignite their, their, their passion for Him, and ignite people's faith again. Because there's a phrase that we've been using. Deep in the heart of every person is a longing to be present with God. Because deep in the heart of God is a longing to be present with His people. So this morning, the title of my message, 21 Days Into Our Fast, concluding our fast today, the title of my message this morning is simply this, The First Step. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump straight into this passage that we're going to look at. We're going to jump back in. We're going to go all the way to the back to the start to Genesis chapter 1. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, if you've been around at church for a while, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, you know that we read here about the creation account. And it's kind of, it goes like this. Day one, God creates light. And at the end of his day, it's kind of like he metaphorically sits on his couch puts up his feet, kicks back, and he looks at the light and he says what? It's good. And then day two, he gets up and he goes about his work and he creates the atmosphere to separate the earth and the sky. And he sits back at the end of the day on his couch again and he puts his feet up and he goes what? It was good. And then day three, he gets up and day three, he makes the ground and he plants and he he plants all the plants and then he sits down on his couch, puts his feet up and says, it's good. Day four. Day four, we, we read that he created the sun, moon and the skies and the galaxy and that's a busy day. And so he sits back at the end of it, puts his feet up again and, and goes, you know what? It was good. And day five, he gets up again and he, and he, and he creates the, all the birds and he creates the animals. He puts his feet up again. And says, it was good. But then what happens on day six? If you've got your Bibles with me, I just want to open to to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's at the start, so it should be easy to find. Preface, Old Testament page. Here we go. Then God sent. Let us make man in our, mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the lions, livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move amongst the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In His image, in the image of God, He created them. Man and female, He created them. Verse 31 goes on to talk about that it was only at this point after he's created us that God sits on his couch again, puts his feet up, he reclines back. But this time there's a difference. First time that says, you know, he created all of these things and it says what? It was good. But this time it's only after he creates all of us. He sits on his couch, he reclines back. But this time there's a difference. And this time he doesn't just say it was good, but this time it says it was very good. Think about that for a moment. It was only when he created you, 
I mean, he, he created all the galaxies and the stars and the moon and the, he created all the, the, the ecosystem and the environment around us and the trees and the plants and the, he, he created the waters and he created all these crazy animals underneath the water and everything else. And, and he looked at all he'd made and he said, you know what, that's really, really great. But you know what? It was only when he made you. It was only when he made me that he used those words. It was very good. Let's think about it this week. And what struck me this week was this, this something that God wants to say to us this morning in this passage, that God wants to remind us all about that God doesn't want a relationship with the grass and the trees and the rivers and the, the forests and the, the, the animals and the horses and the elements and the llamas and the dogs and yes, even sometimes the cats. And you know, God doesn't want a relationship with those things. I mean, He said they were good. He was proud of His, his work. But the climax of everything, the, all the effort of going to preparing everything, the piece of resistance, the moment where the heavenly drums kind of begin to beat, everything was building and building and building and it was finally building. And then he made us. And God said, it is very good. So why don't you think for a moment? God didn't create us just to feed his animals and to mow his lawns. But he built us and he made us with a solitary desire to be in relationship with him. I just want to let that sink in for a moment for every one of us. That God made us with a desire that he wants to be in relationship with us. God made us that he, he wants not just to be in relationship with us, but He wants to be in a daily relationship with us. You see, from the very beginning of time, we were designed to walk daily in the presence of God. But then we read in a, in a chapter or so later, later, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord amongst the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out to them, where are you? Let me pause for a second. Do we really think, do we really think that, that, they, that God didn't know where they were? Do we really think for a moment that God was shocked by what they did? Do we really think that just because they were hiding behind a tree going, he can't see me, that God couldn't see them? Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden. This is, this is Adam talking. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. You know what, church, I reckon that those last three words are some of the saddest words in all of the Bible. So I hid. You know, here's Adam and Eve. They're hiding from God. Why? Well, because they blew it, because they sinned. And have you ever noticed that some things just never change? 
I mean, most mornings at the moment, I wake up in the morning and I roll over to, to put my hand on my side table next to me to turn my alarm off, which is attached to my phone. And I, and I reach around and I kind of fumble around on the top of my, my side table to find that my phone's not there. And so what I, what I now do is I just kind of roll over and I peer over the side of my bed. And there, more often than not, is Jude hiding with my phone looking incredibly guilty, my five-year-old son looking incredibly guilty, incredibly busted because he's trying to crack the code on my phone, which he doesn't know, so all I generally find is that I'm locked out of my phone for the next half an hour. And, and so he's lying there looking at me with kind of that, you know, the, the stucky, you know, like this. Busted because... Feeling guilty because he knows he's not supposed to touch daddy's phone. Has it ever struck you that some things never change? At least they don't for me. And I don't know about you, but, but I sin and I, blow and I blow it and I make mistakes. And, and so what I often find myself doing is that I beat myself up a little bit. I blow it, I make mistakes, I do things that I know I shouldn't, I sin, and there's moments where I just kind of beat myself up over them. And so what I do is I, I beat myself up long enough to the point where I feel like I've probably beat myself up enough. And then at that point, I come with my head bowed and, my, and kind of groveling back to Jesus and I go, I'm sorry for doing this. And I don't know if you're anything like me. If that's how you live your life at different times. You see, on Thursday night, I was running late to a, a board of elders meeting and I was stuck driving up Chambers Flat Road in the far right-hand lane. But the person in the far right-hand lane didn't catch the memo. You're supposed to be driving at the speed limit in that lane and they weren't driving at the speed limit. And I found myself a little bit frustrated, very late to a board of elders meeting and I may have slipped a choice word out at that particular moment. And don't laugh because you do exactly the same thing as I do that night. You know, we, we think something that we shouldn't. We gossip about someone. We turn up to that work Christmas party or that different party. We drink a little bit too much more than we should. Or we cheat on our tax. Or we, we borrow that thing from work that may still be in our possession, even though that was like two job sites or two workplaces ago. Have you ever noticed that some things never change? See, Adam and Eve here, they're hiding because of their sin. And maybe you're a little bit like me, and so we beat ourselves up until we feel like we've beaten ourselves up enough to kind of come back to God, to come back to that place. But what I love about Adam and Eve in this spot is when they finally come out from behind the bushes to see God, this is God's response. He doesn't get out his big stick and smack them on the bottom. He doesn't kind of begin to berate them and tease them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't, he doesn't do the things that I can't remember what he doesn't do. He doesn't rant and rave. He doesn't yell and scream. He doesn't send them to the naughty corner. He doesn't make them feel bad. But this is what he did, verse 11. And he said, God talking, who told you about you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, the woman you put here, well, she gave it to me. It was all her fault. And then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? 
Let's think about that phrase, that question there. There's two ways we can ask that question. The first way we ask that question is, is like this. What have you done? You know that moment where we kind of, we're angry and we're frustrated and we begin to yell and rant. But this is the way that I reckon God said it because this is beginning to see what, what happened. See, the first way is in anger and frustration. The second way, which is the way I believe that he said it, was more like this. Oh, what have you done? What have you done? Why? What have you done? See, that question can be asked two different ways, but with two very different outcomes. See, I don't know about you, but too often we can feel like the way that God means it is the yelling, abusive, loud, angry version. But what we see God here doing is he asks that question out of a broken heart because he knows the consequences. And he knows in that moment that, that what that would mean is the death of his son eventually, uh, hundreds of years later. And he knows what is about to happen. And he knows the, the distance that's now going to be put in place because of the decision they made. But I thank God that our God isn't in the business of beating up, but is in the business of building up. So I love the fact that our, our God is in the business of, of restoring hope. Our God is in the business of bringing back joy. Our God is in the business of making a way where there seems to be no possible way. See, He's been trying to tell us from the very beginning of creation that there was always a plan in place. And I want to show you this this morning by something I think is really, really cool. Have you ever read the Bible and you kind of read different stories and, and God comes to a, to a set of parents who become uh, pregnant and he says to them, hey, you know what? I want you to name your son. Da -da -da -da. And we kind of go, oh, that's a little bit random. We kind of just move on with the rest of the story. Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to read the first 10 consecutive names of Jesus's genealogy since the beginning of Adam. And then we're going to look at the meanings of them. The first name, of course, is Adam. And Adam means man. Seth, his name means is appointed. Kenosh or Kenosh, or I don't know if anyone knows how you really say his name, we'll just go with Kenosh. His name means a mortal man of. And then you've got Canaan. His name means sorrow is born. Now, I don't know if you, you know, parents, uh, if you want to name your son Canaan, and uh, when they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, what does my name mean? And you're supposed to explain how you came up with that particular name. Good luck with that one. And then there's Machael. And his name, like the little in there, Machael, means the glory of God. And then you've got Jared. And his, his name simply means shall come down. And then you've got Enoch. And we look at Enoch and his name means instructing that. And then you've got Methuselah, it's another one of those names because his name means his death shall bring. Again, anyone want to name the child Methuselah? Dad, what does it mean? Your death shall bring. Okay. Uh, and then you've got Lamech, which means his name means those in despair. And then we've got last of all, Noah. The top 10 names. And Noah's name means comfort and rest. 
Now, we just kind of go, that's a little bit unique, and I don't kind of get it. And like, Dave, what's the point of a bunch of names and their meanings? I mean, well, I just want to read for you this morning. I want to put in a sentence each one of the meanings of the names because this is God's plan. Remember, God came to these parents and said, I want you to name your son Canaan. I want you to name your son Methuselah. And this is what they say. This is what it reads out. Man is appointed or mortal man of sorrow is born. A little bit clunky, but you get the gist. But then Machael starts with this. The glory of God shall come down, instructing that his death shall bring those in despair, comfort, and rest. At church, I didn't read that. That was God's plan. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I, where I take something out of context and I look and I go, God, that doesn't make sense and I don't like it and I don't understand what you're doing. But then all of a sudden, if I put it back in God's context, it makes total sense. You know those moments where we go, God, I don't like what's happening. God, I don't agree with what's happening. God, I don't understand what's happening. And then those moments where we sit there and we go, but God, I'm gonna stop trying to guess and I'm just gonna let you where we stop and we look back and we go, guys, I don't know, but, but as I read that out, that is remarkable. The glory of God shall come down, instructing that his death shall bring, whose death? The death of Jesus shall bring those in despair, comfort and rest. See, Jesus knew from the very beginning, he wasn't shocked by Adam and Eve. He didn't get there and go, I can't believe, I didn't know, Andrews, why didn't no one tell me about what just happened? And what they did, he, he, he knew from the very beginning that they were gonna blow it. He hoped they wouldn't, but he knew that they were human and he knew that they would make choices that weren't the very best choice. And yet he risked on them anyway because he had a better thing in store because God always has a better plan in store. I love the fact that when we put it in God's context, it all makes sense. You see, our sin banished us from the presence of God. But God had another idea. God had another way of restoring us into relationship again. You see, God promises throughout Scripture that, that He would be there with us. James 4 verse 8 says this, Come near to God and I will what? Come near to you. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the broken hearted. See, the reason that Adam and Eve hid was because of their sin. But did you note something? Even though they'd sinned, even though they'd blown it and they'd, they'd dropped the ball in such a massive way and the ramifications would be huge. Here we find God still walking in the garden towards them. And he came walking in the garden towards him, knowing full well exactly what they had done. You see, the conclusion that we're left with is that what he was doing is that he wanted to show us that he, wants a, he wanted a relationship with Adam and Eve regardless, regardless of what they've done. And, and God wants a relationship with us regardless of what I have done, regardless of what you have done. But it always requires the first step. 
It always required Adam and Eve to take the first step, to come out from behind the bushes and the trees, come out from their hiding spot to take the first step. See, God says, you take the first step and I'll come running towards you. Do you realize that God desires to have a relationship with you far more than we desire to have a relationship with him? You realize that that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That God promises throughout scripture that he will never leave us and forsake us. That God will always be there and he will draw you in and he wants to be there with people and he wants to be connected with you but it requires the first step from us. And so this morning, as we, we talk about the first step, as we talk about this, this, this idea that, that we can be in the presence of God daily, I just wanna get really, really, really practical this morning. I wanna say, you know what? If we wanna be people that live in the presence of God every day, there's a step that we need to take. There's a couple of things that we need to do. And the first thing is simply this. It's not gonna be a shock to most of you, is that we've gotta have daily disciplines. I uh, read an article this week. And the article was, was written about uh, how, uh, the article was written about um, some of the keys to, to having children who love Jesus as they get older. And so they interviewed over 2,000 different adults, different adults from different denominations, different backgrounds, different countries, different everything, to try and figure out what are some of the keys, what are some of the essential things that seems to just happen time and time and time again so that people, so that, that our kids and our teenagers will still not graduate from their faith when they graduate school, but will love Jesus all of the days of their life. And so they, they interviewed 2,000 adults and their kids had to, between, had to be between 18 and 30 years old, still in church, still loving Jesus. And this is what it found. Are you ready? It's going to shock you all. I know. The biggest factor, above all the other factors, was reading the Bible regularly. See, it said that, and it noted that this was like, this, was, this one kicked every other one to the curb. This was by clear, uh, clear priority, the most important one. P- uh, children who regularly read their Bibles grew up with a more vibrant spirituality and a more alive faith when they became adults. The second one is, as they noted, that the, the second significant point was prayer and service. Now, it didn't go about how many times a break, going to prayer meeting every week and all of those type of things, but it talked about the significance of prayer in their lives, whether it's over, uh, you know, saying grace while we're about to eat dinner and, and, and praying together as at, at bedtime and praying together at different times and going to prayer meetings and stuff like that. But it was parents, uh, kids seeing their parents pray with them. It also noted, it talked about serving, talked about the important need of not just attending church, but actually serving in church. Not just coming to something, but allowing the church to be part of our lives and part of our service to God. The third thing was singing Christian songs, and I don't know what that does in you. As we talk about singing Christian songs, we heard you know, Ben Dayton preach a great message last week about worship. But, you know, there's something significant that happened when our children are surrounded by Christian songs and worship because what we, what we repeat in our singing is something that makes a significant difference. And lastly, 
It was the power of example. The last one was kids seeing their parents live out their faith. Talks about the, the kids are happy to apologize and repent if they see their parents apologizing and repenting. You know, the, the kids are kids who've got a live and vibrant faith are doing that because they see their parents with a live and vibrant faith. You see, what we become, we become what we are modeling. So I want to ask you a question. What are your daily disciplines? Are you reading the Bible? Up the back with We've given out the Bible reading plan for the year. Actually, this only goes to April, but we'll have another one coming out after April. A Bible reading plan, just a simple thing that we can daily read together. You know, when you're praying, every Tuesday night we have a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting that is designed for you to be able to bring family and bring different people and to gather together in praying. You know, are you serving in church? You know, as that church continues to get bigger and bigger and more people keep coming and more people keep coming to faith, we need you to partner with us so that together we can continue to make a difference in so many people's lives. You know, are you worshiping? And I don't just mean for a little four-song four bracket at the start of a service and one at the end, but are you worshiping during the week? And what kind of example... And we're leaving for our kids. And I just want to talk to grandparents for a moment. You play such a vital role, older people in our congregation, you play such a vital role in the lives of my kids. In the lives of every other kid that's represented up in our kids' church this morning. Over 40 to 50 kids each week gathered up there. You play such an invital role as you love them and you model that, you know what, just because I'm a little bit older, I've got a little bit of gray hair, doesn't mean I can't still love Jesus passionately. So are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you serving? Are you worshiping? And are you an example? I heard a quote this week that said this, discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. And the second thing is this, We've got to have faith in His grace. So I don't know about you, but I find it easy to offer and extend grace to other people. But then when I blow it, I struggle to kind of feel that same grace for me. See, grace is undeserved favor. Do you know that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore? And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. His capacity of love for you is full all of the time. The moments when you're sitting in church with your hands raised going, yeah, God is good. He still loves you. And when we blow it, when we get out of here and we yell at the kids on the way home or on the way to church or whatever it might be, in those moments, God still loves us. You see, living every day in the presence of God requires both a daily discipline and a faith in His grace. See, church, it requires effort. It requires discipline. It requires courage to move past the superficial. And I want to say that in the, in the risk of seeming too simple, our biggest first step needs to be changing the focus, changing the channel off me, my, and I, and putting it on to Jesus. Dallas Willer 
the, pro, the, the philosopher and writer said this, authentic transformation really is possible if we're willing to do one thing, arrange our lives around the kind of practices Jesus engaged in to receive power from the Father. In the last 21 days, we've been on a 21-day fast. And this morning, I'm going to invite up a couple of people, Julie and to Dave, to share a little bit of their story. So guys, if you want to just come up and grab a, grab a stool. We've seen so many. I've heard so many stories about what God's been doing. But this morning, we're uh, just going to interview for a few minutes each of these guys to hear a little bit of what God has done in them. So Julia, ladies first. I was hoping you'd sit here. <laughs> um, all right, Julia, so question, what did you fast from? I fasted from food and until the afternoon, so from four to five I'll eat. Yeah, awesome. Again. Yeah. And how, how did you find it? Challenging at the beginning, yep. for sure. Um, yep. A bit agitated, but yeah, with time it got better. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Can you talk us through, how did you find, so 21 days is a long time. Mm. No food is a pretty significant thing. Not always easy, the, the moments where it was easy and then you turn up to work too and there's food everywhere and mm, then it gets really hard. Yeah. Uh, but what did God, what did you see God do through this whole process? Just lift this up a little bit. Oh, even higher. Okay. Um, so during the process, I, I didn't come into this fasting with a specific burden. Um, so I went in it really open-minded saying, okay, God, whatever you do, you're going to reward because, you know, sacrifice doesn't go unanswered. Um, so I found that as I was fasting, I felt as if my heart was a lot more pulled into line with what God's heart is. So for example, I could just be driving to work or at the shops and I would, my eyes would be lined to someone and I'd have such a desire to pray for them. Um, so yeah, just in my spirit, it was just so strong and it was every day, numerous times a day. Um, and I would pray for that person. I wouldn't go up to them and, you know, lay hands. I'm not at that stage. Um, but yeah, I just felt such a desire to intercede for people during this time. Awesome. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Dave, what did you fast from? Uh, social media. Yep. Yep. How did you find it? Um, pretty easy, but I found myself, I'm not, I don't jump on social media all the time, but I felt more of a God sort of each time I would go to my phone just to see what's happening, follow sports that. I'd have to fill, God said, fill that time with me. So instead of jumping on social media, instead of uploading memes, yeah. I started listening to podcasts, yeah. sermon, um, vision radio podcasts, gateway stuff. Yeah. So yeah, just filling that time with um, time I would be spending on Instagram and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. How did you find it? What did God do? 21 days of no social media. Mm. You know, for a lot of us, that might be easy. For a lot of us, mm. it also is really challenging. There would have been no, no doubt moments where you would just go to autopilot, flick your phone, kind of go to, and then go, oh, hold on, catch yourself. What did God do through 21 days of just saying no to those things so you could say yes to him? Um, the biggest thing, and I remember catching up with you during the week, was um, like I've long-time Christian, first-time fasting, um, and it was literally, I just became desensitized with the cross. I became desensitized with the crucifixion. Um, I became kind of mature as a Christian, but thought I was more mature than I was. So um, he kind of said, oh, you know, uh, look at the, the, the medical 
background of what the crucifixion is and how it, how, what the body succumbs to. And I read that and it was like, my goodness, he didn't just die on the cross, he certainly went through a bit, yeah. So that, just even that was eye-opening. Um, but also the biggest thing was I'm great for trusting God in my prayers, but when things don't go well, I kind of go, oh, yep, I know I prayed that, but... And um, just eye-opening, just with just trusting what his plan, his time. Um, the analogy of what I told you about the car, like, you know, when you become a Christian, you get God in the back seat and he's kind of talking to you when you're driving, you're saying where you're going, and then he hops in the front seat, but you're still driving and he's trying to direct you. And when you let him drive, it gets frustrating because I kind of had the envision of, like, when you're learning um, to be a driver, like, in a learner's car, the dual pedals, and I'm sitting there putting the brake on, I'm saying, come on, we want to get there faster, slam the accelerator on, I'm getting frustrated, and just before we were fasting, I kind of hopped out of the car and had a little hissy fit, <laughs> and kind of went, what the hell are you doing, dude? Yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah. So, so that was just more of a humbling experience to kind of go, you know, I'm not alone in my doubt, but I've come to an understanding of just chill. Like, seriously, he's got everything. He's, yeah. everything was created by him. You know, little old Dave here with all his problems and stuff is, it's nothing. He, he's got it. He's sorted it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Awesome. Hey, guys, thank you so much for uh, overcoming the nerves to come and uh, share with us. Thank you for allowing, as you went on this journey, allowing God to do what he did. Um, so please grab a seat. Thank you, guys. So many stories like that of ordinary, normal people like all of us just saying, God, we want to say no to some things so that we can say yes to you. Uh, what I found in, what, in talking with Julia and Dave, it was kind of like during that, that, that 21 day fast, it was like God just cranked the volume up in our spiritual lives. You know, I, I found that, that really, really honestly, I found that there was moments where it was easy and then I found there was moments where it was so incredibly hard. And what God spoke to me in those really, really, really hard moments, you know, the ones where I'm like, if I, I could just eat this and no one would know, like I don't have to use it as a sermon illustrator, I could just like pretend it never happened. Just, you know, like a steak would go past and you just go like this. Or someone would be drinking coffee next year and I'm like, you know, you just want to steal a cup and like lick the bottom of it when they're finished. You know, and, and no one would know. What struck me was this. What struck me is how desperate I could be for just a little bit of meat, how desperate I could be just for a little bit of caffeine, for a little bit of a coffee. And God really began to challenge me and going, Dave, are you really, 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 honestly, are you really that desperate for me? And that's been my prayer for our church. That as, as we've gone through this season, and that the challenge is church, that as I woke up this morning and had a cup of coffee for the first time, as I licked the bottom of the cup, that my desperation doesn't go where that coffee went. That we don't just go, okay, God, I'm done. That was a great 21 days, yeah. But God, that I, I continue to, to position myself to go, God, you know what? I might've finished that fast, but God, I want, I wanna be more hungry. God, I want to take my desperation to a whole nother level. 
Because God, I need more of You. Because God, my family needs more of You. God, my kids as they walk into school, God, they need more of You. God, our church needs more of You. God, our, our community desperately needs more of You. It's so a God, I, I wanna be more desperate. God, I wanna be more hungry. Question I've got for you this morning is when we're at our lowest moments like Adam and Eve were, do we have a tendency of doing what Adam and Eve did? To, to, to run away from God, to feel like maybe He's just a million miles away that, you know, in our lowest moment, we question, God, are You really there? God, maybe were You ever really there? God, I just feel like this morning that, you know what? I'm here and You couldn't give a rip. God, I, I, I've blown it, yes, but God, where were You in the moment of my need? my greatest need in those moments we feel like Adam and Eve felt. Do we feel like God is a million miles away? You know what we often do? I often do. Because we think that God, God wants nothing to do with me in those moments. But church, I wanna to say to you this morning, we've gotta come back to what, what Jesus said in Genesis chapter eight and nine, where He walked to Adam and Eve to find them in the middle of their lostness, to find them in the middle of where they knew they were broken and they were hiding and in shame. And in that moment, it said that the Jesus came walking through the garden. And he called out to them, where are you? Again, he didn't know, he knew where they were. And he asked him that question, not with anger, but with love. What have you done? He says to you this morning, you know what, what have you, I, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. I already know what you've done but I came walking through the garden because I wanted to meet with you. I came walking through your, through your gunk and your junk because I want to meet with you in the middle of that. He didn't wait for Adam and Eve to get all of their junk together and then He wandered in. He met them in the middle of their brokenness. He met them in the middle of their lastness. He met them in the middle of their loneliness when they felt like no one else was there. He met them in the middle of their nakedness and their shame and racked with guilt and yet Jesus Jesus met them where they were and He meets you and He meets me where I am and He meets you where you are and He wants to say to you this morning, I wanna meet with you, I wanna encounter you, I want my presence to be with you every single day, not when you just have it together, but when you don't have it together. He meets Adam and Eve. Guys, I don't know what you think about that. But I'm so grateful for God's grace. He looks at me and He says those words, what have you done? Not out of anger, but out of love and care. I can imagine He, he got down on His knees to their heart. And He said, my children, what have you done? What have you done? But He met them where they were. See, God walks with them. God walks with you through your mistakes. God walks with you and He's there when the marriage is nearly gone down the toilet or you've made 
and you've done choices you don't think you can ever get back from, but I thank God that there is no too far is too far for God. I love the fact that no matter what you've done or what you will ever do, God still loves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what He did. I love the fact that God loves you because He sees you through the lens of Jesus. I love the fact that as He looks at me, He doesn't see me broken and hurting. He doesn't see me a sinful guy who makes mistakes and drops the ball, but He sees me through the lens of Jesus, forgiven and made whole in His eyes. And Jesus came to be with you and He came to be with me and He asked us, will you take the first step? I just want to say that it's actually not the first step because He already made the first step. It's why He sent Jesus. Book of Romans talks about this. You know what? He met us in the middle of our sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died. That Jesus took the first step and all we've got to do is take our focus off ourselves and what we've done and just take the first step, no matter how big or how small to Him. Because Jesus took the first step for us. 21 days ago, I stood on this stage Across all campuses, we made a declaration that we wanted to be more hungry for God than hungry for food. We did something 21 days ago that we're going to do again this morning. We ended and we said the last thing we're going to eat, the last thing we're going to do is we're actually going to take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did, the sacrifice that He prayed. Even when we didn't deserve it, He chose us anyway. This morning, we're going to start eating again with communion. Now we start with hearts gratitude towards God. Say, God, I don't deserve it, but you don't care because you love me anyway. And when we stop and we remember what Jesus did and hanging on a cross, for me, for someone like me, and you made a way. God, we thank you that that way is called Jesus. Jesus, that you came to our world to forgive us, to walk with us. God, thank you that your presence is with us daily. God, as we focus on you, God, as we pursue you, God, as we continue to grow more and more hungry for you every day, God, we thank you that you are a God that makes a way. God, away through our muck and away through our junk and God, away from our sin and God, away from the challenges that we find ourselves in. God, we thank You that no one is too far for You. God, thank You that You're a God who made a way. Thank You for that reminder, that functional reminder. As we took communion this morning, representing Your body broken, whipped and beaten and brutalized for us. God, Your, your blood spilled at the cross of Calvary carrying that cross all the way up that hill and being nailed to a wooden cross. Not because you deserved it, because I deserved it. We deserved it. But God, you lovingly, full of grace, you took it for us because you know that there was no other way. And so you 
made a way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to sing the song Waymaker. Be reminded again that there is and was no other way except through Jesus. Thanks, Tim. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.